Good morning, it's uh, lovely to be with you and to share with you through this unique way and these unique times. I feel a tad embarrassed because I thought the verses I was preparing was verses 1 to 7. So you're stuck with those, but I'd love you to uh, grab your Bibles or your phones if you read the scriptures off the phone and open them to these verses. We're going to go through them. Uh, verse by verse. Firstly, uh, can I say, how many of you uh, would want to stay online if I said this morning, um, I'm going to speak on the benefits of retirement? Or if uh, I said, hey, this morning, I'm going to speak on coping with puberty. <laughs> or if you're a vegetarian and this morning I was to say I'm going to speak on how to cook a nice rare steak that bleeds um, I think most would turn off in one form or another and that's my problem as I come to speak to you this morning because the opening verses or the opening verse says this to the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder. And one point, one person at this stage might say, well, I'm going to switch off, I'm not an elder. Um, <laughs> I hope the elders get blessed. I might have a look at Instagram, Facebook, have a look at telly, catch up on the latest coronavirus news. But before you switch off, <laughs> I want you to have a little think. Because I think in some form or another, even though this passage is directly directed to elders, there is a sense in which we all shepherd in one way or another. I think uh, if you're a parent, you shepherd. Uh, if you're a small group leader, you shepherd. Uh, if you're endeavouring to disciple someone, you shepherd. If you lead a ladies group or a youth group, you shepherd in one form or another. And I think uh, what these verses show us is some important marks of what it means to be a shepherd, regardless of whether you are an elder or male or female or whatever. The principles of shepherding or being a good shepherd are here. So stay tuned. And then as well as that, as we get towards the end of uh, these verses... Um, in, in verse 5 it says young men in the same way in other words he moves Peter moves from describing the marks of a shepherd to the marks of a flock and all of us at Montmorency of course are part of God's flock so stay with me stay with me don't switch off so when we look at verse 1 <coughs> and 2 we notice that um, Peter says to the elders among you I appeal it's interesting, that word appeal there uh, in the Greek means to call out but to come beside someone and call out. So this isn't just an academic exercise of Peter wanting to talk to the elders about the principle of shepherding. This is something that's on his heart that he wants to communicate as he comes down beside them in no ways usurping authority above them, but coming beside them. And he is passionate about the marks of a good shepherd. 
Do you want to know whether you're a good shepherd or not? Hey, stay tuned. Have a look at these verses. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. It's true, isn't it, that that you, like me, have had moments which we will never forget. Moments that have marked us and it's often in the area of suffering as with Peter. I I will never forget, for example, um, kneeling with my arms around my daughter and my grandson um, in the main corridor of the hospital in Monash. And we just found out that our seven-year-old granddaughter had just been taken home to be with the Lord. And as we greet it, I will never forget that, no matter how many years I live. And Peter likewise, when he thinks of Christ and he thinks of the suffering uh, that he went through, he says, a witness of Christ's suffering. He could never forget it. Who could ever forget that the fact that he was stripped and flogged and derided and nailed on a cross? Who could ever forget that soul-rendering cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this had imprinted itself, scarred itself, stained itself on the heart of Peter. And this convinced Peter that he was loved. And here's the first sign of a good shepherd. Because before you or I can start to care for someone else with our heart and not just our intellect. We must recognise and feel that profound sense that we are loved by Jesus. And, you know, that, that verse in Romans 5, 5, you've heard it, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. I love the old King James Version. Remember that Remember that one? Shed abroad in our hearts. And that word poured there is a fascinating word. It's in this verse, and it's an unusual verse. Acts one sixteen. Judas bought a field, then he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. That word burst there is the same word that's used in Romans 5. It's a, it's a violent word. When you and I came to know Christ, God's love through his spirit was burst out into our hearts. And Peter, as he reflected on the cross, which we've done this morning, was filled with a sense of being loved by God. And so he gets down beside the elders, beside those he wants to shepherd. And he wants them to know that the mark of a shepherd is that they know that they are loved by Jesus. Tell me, how can you learn to swim without water? How can you learn to eat without food? How can you breathe without air? And how can you begin to love and care for someone without a deep sense of being loved by God? It shows in the way that those of us are parents 
care for our kids or grandparents and care for our grandchildren. The way that we treat those people who are intellectually challenged. The way that we handle people in our fellowship who we regard as awkward or even annoying. When we are filled with the knowledge that we are loved by God, that love can't help but burst itself out and show itself in care for no matter who is within the flock. Second sign of a shepherd is their motivation is to care. Look at verse 2. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. So this is talking about the nature of shepherding, the motivation of that. And it is heart-driven because it says, because you're willing. It is not benefit-driven, not pursuing dishonest and dishonest gain. Do you find it peculiar that sometimes when you give a person a title that it seems to change them? Now that title may be elder, it may be small group leader, it may be parent, it may be preacher, it, it can be youth group leader, it can be anything. But you give a person a title and sometimes people function for the title rather than for the purpose for which they're called. Tell me, how do you react when someone forgets to thank you? <laughs> Those of us who've, who've got kids and we do something for our kids and, and we think... Not a word of thanks. Ever, ever said that? Or what about when you are doing something in the church and, and you've worked like crazy but you don't get one word of thanks? What is your reaction? Because you see, if our reaction is one of, Will I ever be appreciated? Doesn't anyone know what I'm, I'm doing? It shows that what we are doing is for the people rather than for our chief shepherd. And isn't it dishonest gain when you and I want our title to be honoured, be it parent, preacher, elder, youth group leader, or whatever it is, above fulfilling desiring to shepherd simply because we care and regardless of whether people notice or not. Um, it's interesting, in, the, in this verse here, there are two words I find interesting. One is the word flock. See that there? In verse, be shepherd of God's flock. It literally means little flock. That includes your family, doesn't it? Your grandchildren. Uh, and and that, that includes a small group. That includes any church that is small that may be dwindling in numbers through no fault of their own. It doesn't matter whether you are a large church or a big church. Shepherding is to be exercised and that with care. And the second word that um, catches my attention is the word watching. 
See that word there, watching? Um, and it's, the meaning of the word there, it's not a casual look. It's an intense gaze. It's the gaze of a person who is shepherding, who is taking in the behaviour of the flock who is his responsibility or her responsibility. How well do you know your children? How well do you know your youth group? How well do you know your ladies group? How well do you know those at work who you lead? Because if your motivation is from the heart to care, you will be watching and seeing how can I care for them better. That's the nature of shepherding. The third one is the shepherd's life impacts. See that? But being examples to the flock. There's power in a godly life, isn't there? And you and I know people who have had a tremendous impact upon us simply without a word being spoken. But their life has shouted at us and impacted the way that we've lived. I remember um, many, many years ago when I first went into Christian ministry with open air campaigners. It's now over 40 years ago now. And my boss, a guy by the name of Brian Greenwood, took me down to the docks in Melbourne. Could you think of a more difficult place to try to share your faith? Those rough and ready men. And I thought, what is he going to do? (laughs) And so I walked meekly behind him and we walked into a lunchroom of the dockers. And when we walked in, there were about six or seven guys sitting around eating their lunch. Brian introduced himself and shared briefly the gospel. You know what they did? Absolutely nothing. They totally ignored him. And we walked out of there. (laughs) When we walked out of there, (laughs) I thought, oh my goodness. And you know, I've seen Brian in those days preach to hundreds and hundreds of people and seen lead people to Christ. But that moment impacted my life. Here was a guy who was wanting to share the gospel in the most difficult of situations, regardless of whether he was successful or not. Little did I know that in the many years that lay before me, I was to preach in schools to hundreds and hundreds of kids and see so few respond. I saw in Brian he was called to be faithful. His life marked me. Your life as a parent, a grandparent, a leader of any description, an elder in the church, marks the flock. Don't you think the flock notices? When you walk away and don't help with putting up the putting out the cups and saucers or picking up the mess afterwards? Don't you think they notice if a if a a shepherd takes the prime position in the car park? Don't you think they notice when they look at the face of a person who's meant to be a shepherd and their face may as well be the frontispiece for the book of Lamentations? They've never seen a smile in six years and it marks a flock. They see who helped the elderly out the door. Because you see, the mark of a person who is shepherding 
is a godly life and it impacts the flock. And the fourth thing I want you to notice is that the shepherd's position is accountable. Have a look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. It's the only occurrence of this expression, chief shepherd, in the New Testament. Um, Another way of translating the word chief is great and it's connected with the the concept of ruling. And, And our chief shepherd, Jesus, is always above us no matter how responsible or how large our title has been given to us. And a person who shepherds knows that ultimately they are accountable to Jesus. I'm answerable to Jesus for the shepherding of my children, for the shepherding of my grandchildren, for the shepherding of my wife, for the shepherding of those I mentor, for those I lead at my local church at Heathmont Baptist. I will stand before Jesus and receive, this is what it says here, an iridescent crown that will glow for eternity if I've shepherded with the heart of Jesus. Or I will take I will be held accountable for not shepherding as I should have. How can we possibly for any of us who have a position of shepherding someone, how can we possibly show favouritism? How can we possibly abuse power? How can we possibly use our position to vindicate our cause? It's dishonest gain. And the shepherd remembers that he is accountable. Well, that's enough about the shepherding. The shepherd's heart knows Jesus loves them. The shepherd's motivation is care. The shepherd's life impacts. And the shepherd's mindset is, I'm accountable. Well, let's finish with three marks of the flock that we find in the remaining verses. Now, notice in verse 5, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. And as I pointed out earlier, he's not talking to elders now, he's talking to the younger ones. Um, And I think, uh, whereas it is true that those who are younger should be in submission to those who are older, and those who are in position of responsibility in the church, I think there is a principle underneath that. And that principle is that there is always some who are above us who we are accountable to, isn't it? And uh, no matter if that person is a parent, a boss, an elder, captain of a team, leader of ministry, or a government, or a partner, Let me tell you something about them. They're human. And if they are human, there will be fault. Um, and you know it. You've seen your elders in this church make mistakes. You've, made, you've seen parents make mistakes. You've seen youth group leaders make mistakes. And so on. We've all made mistakes. And in our position of leadership, of shepherding, What does Peter say? If we are under such people, we are to be in submission regardless of how we regard 
them in terms of their perfection or their fault in life. Do you, do you remember the story um, of David? And it's um, <clears throat> it's a dark night, and and he stands with his men gathered around him. And there at his feet, down there, is Saul. He's pushing out Zeds. He's sleeping. He doesn't know David's there, that he's stuck up. And you can see that the the man of David whisper in his ear, take your spear, drive it into his heart. This man has been pursuing you for over 12 years. He wants you dead. And, and you know the story, he had a similar chance when Saul was relieving himself in a cave and he didn't know that David and his men were there. And what does David say? Shall I strike the Lord's anointed? You could hardly call Paul, uh, Saul I should say, you could hardly call him perfect. He was jealous. He was murderous. And yet David refused to strike that person who was above him. Oh, my friend, be careful what you say with these lips about those who are above you because it does not show the mark of a good flock, which is submission. And then I want you to notice in verse um, 5 and 6, the, the flock not only is to walk in submission, but to walk in humility. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes, opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Clothe yourselves with humility. Now, at no extra expense to the church this morning. <clears throat> I'm about to clothe myself <laughs> in humility. See this jumper? Uh, my uh, mother-in-law, bless her dear heart, knitted me, I don't know how many jumpers. This was the last jumper she knitted me. She's now gone to be with the Lord. And this jumper, oh my goodness, it's over... 15 years old. And every morning when I get up, I put on this jumper. Now, I ask you, is this clothing myself with humility (laughs) wearing this? I think she wanted a son-in-law who was six foot. It goes down here and him and his. What what Paul is saying, uh, Peter is saying here, I should say, is put it on. Put it on. Clothe yourself with humility. So, so what does that mean? Well, I suppose we could talk at great length about that. But simply to say this, um, my wife and I uh, married 50 years this year <laughs> and um, we have this little saying that's been in our marriage for nearly all of our married life. And it goes like this. Maybe sitting around having breakfast and Pam will say to me, Robert, she didn't call me Rob, she calls me Robert. Robert, 
That's that's a problem straight away when she uses me. <laughs> she says, Robert, are you teachable? I said, oh, no. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> so I grit through my teeth and I say, yes. <laughs> Why different? And she might say something like, do you know for the last three days and you've walked in our front door, you haven't taken your shoes off and there is mud the length of the corridor. Would you mind taking your shoes off? <laughs> now, that time I can go into self-justification mode. Oh, that, that, that. No, 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 no. The teachable person, regardless of whether that person is above them or younger than them, and it's interesting because some of the things that have been best spoken in my life have been by my kids, and, or beside them. The teachable person doesn't respond with justification but takes it on board humbly because they are clothed in humility. Are you teachable? How do you handle when people say to you, hey, would you mind? What's your reaction? Because if you're proud in heart, there's a, there's a terrible consequence apart from doing something to your relationship with the person who says it. God resists the proud. But, but listen, if we are teachable as a flock in this church here, listen what it says. He shows favour to the humble. He lifts them up in due time. This is how we as a flock are expected to walk humbly. And the last thing I want to say in terms of the flock um, is they walk in trust. Have a look at verse 7. You know it off by heart, but look, I'll read it again. This is what it says in verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Okay. This verse, isn't it gold? This verse is gold at this particular time, isn't it? Um, you, you look at the Premier's face and regardless of whether you're Labor, Liberal, Green or whatever in your political leanings, you can see through him and the health officer and those around him, there is a fear. There is a fear that the pandemic will be out of control and our hospitals will be filled with more people that they can cope with and, and you can just feel it in the air. When I drove here this morning from Hillsville, hardly a car on the road. I bought the paper down at Coles this morning, no one around. <laughs> There's fear. It's well, what could happen. It's out of control. And it's interesting that the word for anxiety, cast all your anxiety on him, it literally means drawn in different directions. That's out of control, isn't it? The kind of experience you have when you try to go to sleep at night but you can't go to sleep because there's something on your mind that just won't go away and it's like there's a truckload of bricks at the top of a hill and it's lost its brake and it's careering down the road towards the house and it's out of control. You got something out of control in your life this morning? Cast it 
on our Lord. The word cast there is the same words used. Remember uh, the donkey and Palm Sunday and Jesus riding into Jerusalem? The disciples cast their robes on the donkey. And this morning I'm saying, you're not casting them on a donkey. You're casting them on Jesus. And to do that requires trust because that's what a good flock does. It trusts when faced with out-of-control situations. Come with me. Um, come with me for a walk, okay? And uh, we got to walk over, walk up a hill. Now, not like the beautiful rolling green hills out around where I live in Hillsville, dotted with black and brown cows. Uh, this hill is scorched. Brown, rocky, craggy. Path is narrow. And as you walk up this hill, there are people coming down from the hill. And the first group of people go past is a group of women and they've got tear-stained faces and you think, man, that must be grieving over something. Next group is maybe a group of men walking down the hill towards you and as they walk, their eyes are, are hollow, like numb, like not knowing what's just happened. And the last group is you near the top of the hill Oh, they must be going to church. They're all dressed up in their religious garb. And the look on their faces is, aha, we've achieved our purpose. And as you get to the top of the hill, the two crosses that had carried the thieves by this time have been laid down. Thieves' bodies taken. And there is one cross and two men wrapping up the limp, dead body of Jesus. And you look past them and you look at the base of the cross and you can see where there's blood on the foot of the cross where Jesus' feet have been impaled and you look at the cross member and there on, on both sides there's blood on the, on, on both sides of the cross member where his hands have been impaled. But then you go up a little bit further just above the cross member. You know what you see, don't you? There's a rough, crude bit of wood. And you remember the words on it? King of the Jews. Now, if you didn't know the story like I know the story and you know the story, our reaction would be, well, that's the end of another so-called wannabe king. (laughs) That's what you'd think if you didn't know better. But you and I know better that not only did that limp body being wrapped up by Joseph and, and Nicodemus and being carried away to a tomb, not only did that body be placed in a tomb, but Jesus rose from the dead, driving a stake into the heart of Satan, the reason the Son of God appeared, 1 John says, so that he could destroy the works of the evil one. And he rose, and he rose to heaven, and when he rose to heaven, he rose to the right hand of the throne of God, the most authority and powerful position in the universe. And there he is and will return one day as king of kings. And he cares for you. You. In your out of control situation. We're not talking about 
a grandmother who who simply loves and would do anything for her grandchildren and children, but is too weak or too frail to help. We're not talking about a soldier who's got his arm around his mortally wounded compatriot who would do anything just to save him, but he can't stop the war. We're not talking about a king who rules a kingdom but can't control a pandemic. We're talking about the king of kings who rules and controls everything. And it's him that you cast your cares on. There is not one thing that he doesn't know about you. And there will be no accident happening to you. I guess I should ask, (laughs) do you know that King of Kings? How can you cast your cares on the King of Kings if you don't know him? And if you do know him, then you need to show the heart of the flock that walks in trust. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you that uh, you look on all of our hearts here this morning as we bow before you. And we, we lift our hearts to you again and, and we want to shepherd like you did, Jesus. We want to be the flock like you want, Jesus. And we want to trust you this morning with every out-of-control moment. And though we feel out of control, we lift our eyes up to you as King of Kings and say we love you and afresh we trust you. Hear our prayer, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.